Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. Good cool evening. Oh, it's hot outside. There's no way around it. It's it's 90 plus out there. I'm Clarence Boone and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award winning show celebrating over 13 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear an analysis of the current immigration debacle playing out on our Mexican border by Christine Pop of Pop and Bullman Attorneys at Law. She's an expert on immigration issues. All in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, we are so pleased this evening to have uh, one of Bloomington's finest uh, family practitioners here, family medical practitioners, Dr. Karen Reed Renner, MD and MDMPH, as a family medicine specialist in Bloomington, Indiana. And she's been practicing for 28 years. And she is one of the country's most highly rated doctors Her specialties include family medicine, obstetrics, and gynecology. Dr. Reed Renner received a medical degree from University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry and is rated among the top 20% of doctors in the United States based on her experience, credentials, and network. Dr. Reed Renner has been found to hold one or more active medical licenses. She is married to Peter, and they are the proud parents of a son named John. She joins us this evening and to discuss her observations on the common maladies that are uh, predominant and prevalent in the African-American community and what lifestyle changes are essential in reversing troubling trends that are getting more and more um, pervasive. And with that, Dr. Reed Renner, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much for having me. This is like an amazing treat. Oh, my goodness. It's been a long time. When was the last time I was here? Well, I was about to say, we, we've had you on before, and it was probably, oh, my gosh, well, over seven years over ago. Seven year, over seven, seven years. years ago. I was fresh to Bloomington. Can you believe I've been here for 16 years? I cannot believe that, but <laughs> um, you you have definitely been making your mark known, and it's been a pleasure knowing your family and, of course, uh, for all, I have to have this disclosure. John attends the same school as my daughter, and the two are real good friends. So um, I am just really pleased to have you here. There, there are some serious uh, issues going on in the uh, black community as well as other communities. Yeah. But um, being that this is a black public affairs show, there's some things we wanted to sort of address. And in the time we have, um, there are, I guess, what the top five, and there are probably more, cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm diabetes, mm-hmm. vitamin D deficiency, mm-hmm. HIV AIDS, mm-hmm. and types of cancers such as lung, breast, colon, and prostate. Prostate especially. In your practice, and I know this is cross-culture, and, and you've probably seen this all over the place, but for the African-American community, can we take one at a time and uh, sort of talk about what you've seen and the things that you come across and what you're really trying to educate your patients to do? Let's start with cardiovascular disease. Yeah, um, Clarence, I, I think when you look at our population, sometimes it can be a bit distressing when you think about all the stats that are stacked up against our people, um, whether they're in Indiana or in California or, or they happen to be as remote as Alaska. Um, the, all the literature will tell you that 
um, cardiovascular disease, particularly hypertension, is pretty predominant in the African-American community or the community of color. Um, there's also high cholesterolemia, and that's a, an area that is not just the cholesterol, but is also the triglycerides that goes along with that. So when a patient goes to see their primary care provider, they're also getting their cholesterol checked, um, mm-hmm. which is the first, one of the, the main things that we use to, to, um, to screen for cardiovascular problems. So there bit, let me just slow down a little bit. So when you're dealing with cardiovascular disease, you're dealing with disease that relates to the heart and your blood vessels. So anything that affects your blood vessels will affect your heart. And one of the main um, disease processes that can affect the blood vessels by clogging those blood vessels would be cholesterol and triglyceride problems. So some people can have high cholesterol, but their triglycerides are, are, are normal. Hmm. And some people can have um, normal cholesterol, but their triglycerides are elevated. So when we think of the African-American um, population, that's one of the predominant factors. And, and sometimes it may have to do with our diet. You know, culturally, We've all been relegated from slavery days to eating the food that the slave masters did not want, the, the chitlings, the food that has more fat. Um, many of us grew up where lard was used um, as a way of frying our foods. Um, we all love fried chicken. But unfortunately, a lot of the foods that are fried has animal fat, and animal fat is going to be extra cholesterol. So cholesterol is really not bad for you per se, but excess cholesterol is what where the problem comes in because cholesterol is actually used as it's a large molecule that it's used as the backbone for steroids. So all our hormones are made from cholesterol. The membranes of our blood vessels, uh, of our cells in our bodies are also made from cholesterol. So it's actually something that nature has um, provided to help our body to function. But from a, a genetic point of view, some people can't process the excess cholesterol. And so that becomes a problem. So when you have excess cholesterol, you have inflammation, you have stress, those work together to cause damage to the blood vessels, which blocks the blood vessels, and then leads to cardiovascular disease. So that's a big mouthful. I hope... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, depression. Depression is out here somewhere. Um, now, and then, too, the other thing is, uh, you, you mentioned that when we were growing up, people mm-hmm. cooked a certain way. Yes. Um, so maybe a way to prevent some of the long-term damage that can occur is, you know, when your children are that are growing, let's try practices that are yes, a lot Yes, we have to begin to teach them how to eat healthier. So um, portion control is an, a, a, an issue for all Americans. Um, eating, you know, f- um, a wide range of food, including all the different fruits and vegetables, which are supposed to be healthy for you, and the dreaded broccoli. <laughs> My son loves broccoli, by the way, which is really surprising well, for Well, well raw broccoli rather than cooked? Well, you know, it depends on what you prefer. I mean, I think if you're going to do the broccoli, you don't want to cook all the nutrients out of it. Uh, um, you want to, so, so actually raw is just as good, but sometimes when people 
um, have raw broccoli, just like you have raw cabbage. It has it does damage to your. It does some work on your GI system in terms of a lot of gas at the other end. So it depends on what your body is kind of used to. Doctor Renner's keeping it real, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a question for you now. Let, let's talk about our family for mm-hmm, a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go into just about any household in my family and I can find either hypertension yes. or high cholesterol yes. or diabetes yes. or in some cases all three of all them. All three of them, yes. So is is any of that genetic? Um, that's a good <coughs> question because um, there is a factor that genetics, there's a, there is a, a role that genetics play, but some of it can also be behavioral. Because, you know, there's some people, once they, because of the way they're eating, they eat a lot of fried food, a lot of greasy food. And just like I said, I said, nature created cholesterol for our bodies to function. Because, like, if you don't have cholesterol, you can't make testosterone. You mm-hmm. can't make estrogen and progesterone, which are all the hormones that the women, and women, by the way, have testosterone as well. So you need the testosterone for you to lose weight, for your muscles to function, for it, it's what defines a male versus a female. So all these hormones are made from cholesterol. But the problem is that when you take too much, then your body loses the ability to get rid of the excess cholesterol. What about all these testosterone supplements that that you hear advertised on TV and radio? Are those things actually uh, beneficial? That's a good question. Um, A lot of the things that are advertised on TV and radio and on the Internet, they're not FDA approved. Right. So they may say that it might have testosterone or it may have a precursor, meaning the the, 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 um, molecule before you can form the testosterone. Mm-hmm. So you act on that molecule, it becomes testosterone. Uh, but it's not FDA approved, so not all of that is, not all of that is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and testo- taking excess tes- testosterone, we're kind of diverting a little bit, but taking es- excess testosterone can actually be detrimental because yeah. it, causes your, um, it causes your blood count to go up, your hemoglobin and your hematocrit. And they help to carry oxygen to your tissue, to your muscles, and things like that. So if those get too thick, if your blood gets too thick, you could actually get a stroke, which gets back to the cardiovascular part. So um, it's that's a little bit of a side because the, having um, having uh, too much cholesterol doesn't necessarily mean you develop more testosterone because mm-hmm. you need certain um, enzymes that control the flow. It's almost like a traffic light. Um, you have certain enzymes that operate on cholesterol to make it go to form the steroids that you need. And you also have enzymes that act on cholesterol that takes it into the, to where it becomes part of the cell membrane that keeps your cell together so your body could function. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned that a lot of uh, our issues uh, are behavioral. Yes. So all I need to do is behave myself when I ride past McDonald's and, and I'm okay, right? Especially McDonald's. <laughs> My husband has a running 
joke that um, when you get a well, I, maybe I shouldn't say this on the air. The way to say this is some fast food establishments. Some fast food establishments. Yeah. Um, the the uh, hamburger that you get there may last for a long, long yeah. time. <laughs> so well, I will say that <laughs> one said fast food place, uh, there was something on they had removed a particular cheeseburger off of eBay that had been on there for like 17 years. Or oh so. my I mean, God. It's, just, it's just something frightening. Now, yeah. uh, again, we not, we've not mentioned any names, yes. but diabetes. And, diabetes. and that's the oh. uh, point. And I, I thought diabetes was more, should be number one. Um, but apparently they're saying 3.2 million, 3.2 million African Americans have diabetes, yet more than 33% do not know it. That's true. Wow. And that brings us to a very important point um, that a lot of the times when you, um, when people have diabetes, it's silent. Mm-hmm. So they're missing a lot of the cues. Like, for example, increased thirst, mm-hmm. weight loss, mm-hmm. um, tiredness peeing a lot, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, blurred vision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we, we have people who they may have, a, they may eat a heavy meal and then they get tired afterwards and lay down and we have a term that we call that, but it may not necessarily be that particular term. Yeah. Um, it may be related to the fact that your body is not metabolizing sugar the way it's supposed to. So before you get to diabetes, there are a few phases. One of them is the pre-diabetes phase. And so we have the technology these days that we could actually begin to um, detect diabetes early. So that's why it's really important for you to have a relationship with your primary care provider because um, when you go in for your physical, we do a screening test that allows us to see what your hemoglobin A1C is. And the hemoglobin A1C, another name for it is the glycosylated hemoglobin. So we talked about when you have testosterone, too much testosterone, your blood gets thick. And there are two components in your blood that allows your body to bring oxygen. So it's called the hemoglobin, and then the hematocrit is the percentage of your blood that is actually red blood cells. So your red blood cells and the hemoglobin, which is, it's a chemical that the oxygen binds to that allows you to have oxygen from your lungs, Mm -hmm. okay? So when there's too much sugar, that the red blood cells actually begin to attract that sugar, almost like, you know, how bees get attracted to honey. Mm -hmm. So when you have too much sugar in your blood, they're able to check your hemoglobin A1C, the glycosylated hemoglobin, which is, by the, by the way it sounds, is the hemoglobin that has a lot of sugar attached to it. So, and that's a good way to check your, your um, sugar over a three-month period of time. So many people who come in, when they get that, that um, test done, um, it will show if you are diabetic, and it generally can tell for the last three months what's been going on with your blood sugar. It even gives you the average blood sugar over that time period. So most people for a year, sometimes even two years, prior to coming in to seeing their doctor, um, have been having diabetes, but they've been ignoring the symptoms. And as you said earlier, that is a silent killer, and the fact that a third of, of uh, African Americans of the 3.2 million that are estimated to have it, don't know it. Don't know it. Uh, until all of a sudden, um, 
perhaps symptoms start to develop, which at some point get to the point where they're almost irreversible. Ir- yes, absolutely. So again, I will, o- I will. I can't overemphasize enough the importance of developing an early relationship with your primary care v- provider so that that can be detected early enough. Well, as as we proceed, and, and mm-hmm. I'm going to yield to William because he's he's got a ton of questions for you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> a lot of times, patients deal with fear. Yes. And it's not that. They know they need to do something, yes. but they're afraid or it's not even the cost because, yes. you know, they're and we're going to talk about ways that you can get thousands of dollars of <clears throat> free services Absolutely. Uh, during the month of July for nothing. Mm. Uh, but a lot of people are afraid just of what a doctor is going to tell them. Yes. And uh, how do you counsel? Um, well, first you have to get them to be patient. So right. I guess what would you tell someone if they're listening right now? Well, um, I I would tell uh, the potential patient to begin to pay attention to their bodies. Okay, so uh, if you like a lot of sweets and you find that if you ate like, you know, your usual um, slice of pie or cake or cornbread and and you have your mashed potatoes and... um, you know, your corn on the cobs, and by the end of the day, you're feeling really tired. You're you're waking up in the middle of the night, which is another symptom, nocturia, which is night urination, waking up multiple times in the middle of the night, and you're not necessarily a male with, with prostate problems. Um, that's a sign that there may be something going on. If you're finding that, you know, when you have all those things, a, a pop, um, and you're more thirsty, that's another sign that your sugar, your body may not be metabolizing sugar well. So um, when you get to that stage, you've actually passed the pre-diabetes stage. And I, I know that I tend to um, talk a lot. I have a lot of information I'm packing in. So the, there's a pre-diabetes stage. So if you come in early, the pre-diabetes stage, your blood sugar, is u- the A1C is usually 5.7 to 5.9. And your doctor can actually start a regimen of diet and exercise, cutting back portions and things like that. But it's not a process that anyone needs to be afraid of because, you know, doctors are, especially family doctors, I can only speak for family doctors, we're pretty, we're pretty laid back. We're, you know, we're low key. We're easy to talk to for the most part. And you have, you have a choice. If you go to meet a doctor and they're not relating to you well, we have a lot of doctors in our very, very excellent doctors in our community that people can, um, can choose. So like, as, as I've said, you pay attention to your body when you start to see those symptoms. Get in to see your provider and begin that conversation. Hmm. All right, William. I know um, a lot of this, uh, these ailments disproportionately mm-hmm. affect low income Absolutely. Uh, residents. So is it, is it really feasible? Uh, well, that's not the word I want to say, but are you really able to get that group of people in for pre-diabetic uh, treatment? Yes, because um, we have HIP, we have Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so those patients actually get very good care. So um, unfortunately, lately, um, some people have having, are having trouble getting in to find a provider. So sometimes it takes a, maybe sometimes a three months wait for some patients but my office is 
pretty easy to get in. I accept most of even um, most of the um, Medicaid insurance, but this is not really about me. Um, Low-income people are able to get quality care, and they're, they're, everybody's entitled to those screening. Medicare patients, Medicare, in fact, requires a Medicare um, full exam, a global exam of their, their patients, uh, and the same also for patients who are on commercial as well as um, uh, Medicaid insurance. So is it a problem with people who just don't know what's available? I think them? I think that's the case. And even in Bloomington, um, people who don't have insurance, uh, there's a place called the VIMP Clinic that people can go mm-hmm. to get co- good quality care. And unfortunately, there's a group of people who would really like to shut that down. <laughs> Sorry that about true. that. Uh, we, we saw that vitamin D deficiency. That's something that I would never equate with uh, being a big problem. I, I think of milk when I yes, think of and then yes. sun, sunlight. Yes. So, you know, I was under the impression that, you know, we're from Africa, we're always in the sun, so we're not going to have any problems with vitamin D absorption because um, you actually need the sun for your body to convert vitamin D to the component parts that allow your body to use it. Mm. And vitamin D is really important for metabolism of your bone and calcium. So calcium helps your bone be healthy. Um, But when you're darker complexion, your ability to absorb the vitamin D and to convert it is actually less than someone who's of a lighter complexion. So for African-Americans, we tend to have a greater proportion of deficiency in vitamin D. Um, and But, you know, for, truth be told, I this is one of the screenings that I do when I see a patient for the first time. They get their vitamin D, they get their B12 um, vitamin checked, their thyroid screen, they get the A1C screen, and then we do a global um, test, which is called a complete metabolic profile that checks your liver function, your kidney function, and the minerals in your body. And that's what uh, the average patient will get when they go in to get a physical exam. And vitamin D is actually one of the um, the vitamins that's very frequently very deficient in not just African-Americans, but in a lot of my other patients of color. Is the remedy something as simple as um, drinking milk? I mean, there, there are multiple vitamins that are sold over the counter, but then again, such something yes. basic like milk or... So, it's great that we have vitamin um, D in the milk, but it's actually just the vitamin D. It's not the vitamin D that your body readily uses. Mm-hmm. The, bo- the vitamin D that your body readily uses is vitamin D3. Um, so vitamin D has goes through a process in terms of its metabolism um, through, the kid- through the kidney and your skin and your gut. Um, where it becomes um, the com- the uh, molecule that actually is able to work on your bones and your gut to absorb calcium and to prevent your bone from losing calcium. So um, vitamin D3 is the better um, component that people need to use, and that's pretty much available everywhere, and it's really not that expensive. Um, so... Um, with vitamin D, I've just missed my point. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Sorry. Uh, and okay, William, uh, if I can ask, well, there are two more. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you uh, make a social statement. Well, 
A social statement. <laughs> I While I to, think about my vitamin D point. Okay, go ahead. I wanted to ask, um, are there any um, issues that kind of separate African African American women from other women? That's kind of a big question. Can you restate it? Well, do African African American women uh, deal with a certain illness or 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 situation more than other women do? I think, um, in terms of from a gynecological <coughs> point of view, I think we tend to have a higher proportion of um, fibroids. Um, anemia, really? hypertension because of the stress that we go through. Yeah. Dealing um, with African American men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is that another bring it all? That's, a, that's just, another bring it all. Dealing with okay. the world. That's, <laughs> another, that's another show right there. Just dealing with the world. It gets complicated. <laughs> so, can you explain uh, uh, what you said about fibroids? Well, um, so fibroids is. Um, an abnormal growth of the muscle in the uterus. And um, I don't have one of those. <laughs> so it's unique to, wim- to, to women in terms of the uterus, but mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty prevalent in the African-American community. So when you have fibroids, that, that can overgrow. It could cause when the, the woman is having her menstrual cycle to have heavy bleeding, um, and that could lead to anemia. Um, it could also lead to infertility and miscarriages and those kinds of things. So is that more genetic or behavioral or what? That is probably more genetic. Uh, really? In my family in particular, um, most of the women, including myself, have suffered with uh, fibroids. Um, so it's very common all over the world. Does it lead to cancer? No, it's actually a benign tumor. You're asking such okay. amazing questions. I love it. Uh, to be a man. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, um, it's a pretty common problem in the African-American community. We, we talked about, uh, we mentioned cancers on the list, um, lung, breast, colon, and prostate. Yes, um, yes. Basically, in my understanding of a cancer, are, are a group of cells that all of a sudden go rogue. Yes. And mm-hmm. do their own thing. Yeah. But are they, is this a planned time bomb event? Or is it they just, something is a catalyst that just starts this happening? That is a loaded question. So you are absolutely correct that, I mean, I think the way to look at it is like, yeah, it's a group of of cells that just decide not to obey order. Mm -hmm. And so their boundaries, they overlook those boundaries and just overgrow, basically. Mm -hmm. And so there are things in our environment that actually affects that. So cigarette smoking, pollution. Um, uh, hydrocarbons, and that those hydrocarbons could also be from from barbecue. <laughs> I know I'm really wait, hitting wait, a lot wait, of. Wait, stuff we just here. had the Fourth of July <laughs> before yeah. the show. Where William was saying he had like 20 grills going at one time, <laughs> and, and you're shooting us down. You're, you're but st- most people are not barbecuing every day, so yeah, it's yeah, it's true. it's a, it's that's an true. and your body is actually designed to. 
um, to correct those um, those mistakes that occur because of certain things that we're exposed to radiation. I mean, mm-hmm. radiation is is everywhere. We have our cell phone. We have all this electro electromagnetic radiation. If you get an X ray, MRI, CT, although we you know when you look at the literature it'll tell you that it's 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 minimal but if you get a lot of that a lot of exposure you're damaging cells that doesn't allow your body to correct it in time so mm. when we're stressed again that stress, word stress i know stress is our number one problem uh, when we're stressed it reduces our immune system and our body's ability to to get back into homeostasis well, well we were always mm. told to to suck it up Homeostasis. Be Homeostasis strong. Homeostasis balance, yeah. And be strong and shake it off. And yeah, but sometimes we internalize a lot of those things and it it pops up somewhere else in some sort of a cancer. So, so, so stress is really real. I mean, from ulcers stress to... is a huge darkness that affects everyone everywhere, yeah. So cancer is just a, a, a symptom of that, really. Hmm. Cancer of every ki- of any kind. So prostate cancer is very common mm-hmm. in the black community. In the black man. Yes, and for us, the because we have access to care issues in a lot of different places. Yeah, I've been trying to get my wife to have her prostate checked. I know. Okay, right? wait, 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 wait. We're gonna stop. We're gonna stop right there okay. because the phone lines will light up. But before we go, before we allow Dr. Renner to complete that, we are having a, a very in-depth conversation with Dr. Reed Renner. Uh, who is really keeping it real, and I have to admire that because this particular physician, uh, family practitioner, is telling us truth, straight-up truth about the body and um, and the African-American community, those things that are more prevalent as far as what we grapple with and wrestle against. Uh, and, and William just injected something that I just want totally erased from our, our memory banks about his wife. Uh, she's a lovely woman. Hey, she did it. Uh, <coughs> so <laughs> if you could continue all about, uh, uh, we were talking, okay, colon cancer, <coughs> breast cancer, and lung cancer. Yes, colon cancer. Yes, okay, so the other cancer that African-American women have to deal with the great in a, in a significant way is breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, for us, when you read the literature, it's really depressing because every single disease, our name is on it. Okay. And a lot of it is because socioeconomically, we've always been behind. We're always slow to get there. Or when we get there, it's too late. Whether it's prostate cancer, breast cancer, we don't get our mammograms the way we're supposed to because we're busy working, we're busy trying to take care of kids, we're busy trying to run life, you know. And if it does, if it's not broken, why need? Why do you need to fix it? And when you get, you know, I, let me just divert a little, divert a little bit. My aunt um, was in the hospital recently, and I flew to New York. I dropped everything, flew to New York um, to a hospital in Queens to see her. And I was standing by the bedside. I did not let the doctors know that I was a physician. And when I, I watched the kind of treatment that they gave to my sister who was sitting next to me, standing next to me and myself, they didn't know I was a physician. And I said, is this what our people have to deal with when they encounter the medical community? It's very intimidating, mm. extremely intimidating. Because more than half the time, there's not someone that you're seeing that you could identify with, right. that who's going right. to break it down and make it real for you. So a lot of times, 
we're not going to, you know, when we have all these things that we have to do, we're not going to drop everything and get to the emergency room or get to the hospital. In the inner city, many of the times, most of us are encountered with the medical profession is through the emergency room. And it's never a calm experience. It's usually somewhat hostile. So, um, So that's a barrier. There's always been that barrier. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. There's always been that barrier. So f- when we finally get there, now you're told you have prostate cancer, breast cancer, all these different things. It's very overwhelming. And that's something that gets trans- trans- translated to, n- to the next generation to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. No, no. Well, I'm going to say we have a couple minutes. And uh, we have not even scratched the surface. So we're going to say our, our famous line here is that we have to have you back. Okay. <laughs> and then your famous yeah. response as a guest will be, I, I will come back. I would love to go. come back. This go. is so much fun. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to put a pin, no pun intended, we're going to put, uh, we're going to stop here. But I am going to mention something about HIV AIDS. Yes. Uh, they made great progress yes. so far well, with this um, pandemic. Yes. Um, and is there anything we want to say about the African-American community as within 90 seconds as we sort of wrap it up? That's still another area that we're still behind. Yeah. And we need to, it takes education mm. for us to catch up. Yeah. And whatever we need to do, whether it's in church or school mm-hmm. or in the beauty parlor, the barbershop to spread mm-hmm. the news, we need to get in, get tested so that we, we, could, we could reduce the kind of like genocide of our people. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say something that you have not mentioned, but we have talked about, and I've known you for a number of years, you and your mm-hmm. husband, and of course, uh, John is going to one day get a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying that now. Uh, you are a, your family is a faith-based family. Yes. yes. And without question, we have had conversations really in-depth about that, and that's something that you've been able and um, really privileged to incorporate into your um, um, treatment of patients. and. Your patient base knows that, and they, I would even say, welcome that. Um, and you talked about stress repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I see someone who has a good faith base um, as being able to attack those stressors in life. And I will say, as my phone is not ringing, I will say that um, <laughs> it is an opportunity uh, to, to release and let go and let the yes. Lord in my yes. faith community, yes. it's the Lord deal with these things yes. but uh, and that's for another topic and, and I think that's also been a key it. to our survival all through the ages yeah that yeah. Ha- being able to get to, uh, to access to our faith because your mind your body and your spirit are all connected yeah. so, keeping yeah. it real with Dr. Karen Reed Renner now in order to get in touch with you as we wrap up this this segment how can people is do they go online or do they is there a number they could should call yes um my office is located at 1403 Atwater Avenue in Bloomington, and the number for the office is 812-339-6744. 6744. All right. And uh, we thank you. You've been a wealth of wisdom. Thank you. Wow, time goes by so fast. It does. It does. Oh so we, we must do this again. It's oh. really unfortunate because I had a question that was just going to blow this thing wide open. But oh, more I'm than so uh, we'll wait till next time. You've had some ziggers tonight. The cliffhanger. Well, <laughs> on that note, our thanks to Dr. Reed Renner for joining us to discuss her observations on the common maladies that are predominant in the African American community and what lifestyle changes are essential in reversing troubling trends. And to get in touch with her and her friendly staff, uh, 1403 Atwater is her (coughs) practice address, and the phone number is 812 
312-339-6744. Again, 812-339-6744. Bring it on. Has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bring it on at wfhb.org. I want you to put your hand on your neighbor and tell them you don't need, you don't need a cure because we have the healer. I don't care if it's HIV. It doesn't matter if it's AIDS. We don't need a cure. Somebody shout, the healer is here. Come on, let me hear your church shout it. The healer is here. Put your hand on your neighbor. Tell them the healer is here. Just say it by September. 
And for our continuing salute to summer, you just heard Healer by William Murphy. Uh, This was from his CD project entitled Demonstrate that was released in the summer of 2016. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you are invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit our news website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. And for Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm William Hosea. At the top of the hour, we shared Christine Pop of Pop and Bullman Attorneys at Law would be joining us to provide an analysis of the current immigration debacle playing out on our Mexican border. Christine, welcome to Bring It On. Hi, thank you for having me. So um, let's start off. You know, we've been watching this government-manufactured crisis unfold and innocent children and, and parents suffering being separated Can you bring us up to date on what's being done to resolve the situation and what more can the uh, government do to reunite these families? Yeah, I think it's great that you say this is a government-created debacle because this was a crisis of the government's own making. The last time I checked, which was a couple of hours ago, the ACLU, which has brought a lawsuit to stop the family separations, had gone into court and had a meeting with the government attorneys and the government had said that they had returned half of the children that were under five, which was there were 100 that were under five, and they said they had returned around 50 of them. Um, but it's unclear whether or not they're going to really be able to meet the deadline tomorrow of returning the children under five. They have a couple more weeks to return all of the 3,000 or so children. I doubt if that's going to happen. It sounds like they are... From my understanding, the government is requiring that the parents go through all sorts of obstacles to getting their children, background checks, home visits, those sorts of things. Some of the parents have been deported already, and that that creates some issues there. Uh, the children are, some children are located thousands of miles away from their parents. The parents don't have the resources to go and get their children. So there's all kinds of issues right now going on that I will not be resolved by tomorrow. Right. That's for sure. You know, I we've all been watching, uh, you know, just rather dumbfounded, like this is not going on in America, but we see the images and we hear the accounts. Uh, and then we even hear that lawmakers were being prohibited from touring and visiting these uh, holding areas. Uh, and then all we see are images of people wrapped up in aluminum foil, which I'm still trying to figure out how that keeps you warm. I guess maybe it contains body heat, but I don't see mats on the floor. I see concrete. I I see kids um, in some places that you're allowed to see uh, ample food to eat and clean clothes. But I, somehow I've lost total uh, trust in, in what's really going on. And and then uh, the thought of having children uh, interred on, on military bases. Um, and that has to cross over some legal thresholds right there. Um, as far as having now the military guard these children, isn't that illegal? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily know the legalities of that, but I will say that uh, under President Obama, there, there was a period of time when families were also temporarily housed at military bases. 
but that was a very temporary solution. It sounds like the Trump administration is trying to gear up to house more people, but I, I don't really know whether that's legal or not. That's an interesting point you bring out because uh, we need to really share and, and be educate, educated to the fact that under President Obama, there were some of these same situations going on. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, but now it's at a greater magnitude under President Trump. It is, yeah. So the current crisis, if you want to call it that, the refugee crisis, not the invasion of aliens from abroad, mm-hmm. the, the refugee crisis that we have really started in around 2014, a little bit before, and a lot of young people and families started fleeing from El Salvador and Honduras and were coming across the border in the tens of thousands. A lot of them were unaccompanied children who were fleeing gang violence. And at that point, the Obama administration did detain families together in what are private prisons. There were some lawsuits, and they ended that practice before the end of the Obama administration. And then what we're seeing now under the Trump administration is an escalation of that uh, because of their zero tolerance policy. Mm-hmm. Many, well, they, they've been separating parents. They say they have to separate parents <coughs> and children because of the zero tolerance policy, but they don't have to do anything that they're doing right now. At the end of the Obama administration, they started certain alternatives to detention programs to ensure that families would be allowed to be released and would come back to their immigration court hearings. Those were extremely successful, but the Trump administration has ended those. So. What we're really seeing is across the board in all areas of immigration, the Trump administration is really cracking down on any kind of legal or illegal immigration and doing a lot of things uh, a lot worse than what was happening under the Obama administration. There's something that uh, confuses me. I keep hearing (coughs) the attorney general and several other administration officials say these people need to go to a port of entry. So that they can properly claim uh, requests uh, uh, asylum, but <clears throat> if they're coming here across uh, different countries, including Mexico, and they're being smuggled, I mean, do they really have the option to tell the smuggler smuggler to take me here? I don't want to go there. Is that a realistic uh, scenario? That is not. There are two problems with the the Trump administration <coughs> saying this. First of all, is exactly what you say. They are paying smugglers, which in Spanish are called coyotes or coyotes, mm-hmm. to, to bring them here. And yeah, they don't get to say where they cross in, in those instances. Oftentimes, as soon as they cross, the first thing that they do is try to track down a CBP, a Customs and Border Patrol officer, to ha- to ask for asylum. But the people who do go to the ports of entry are often refused. There's a lot of litigation going on about this. They are not permitted to even step into the port of entry because once they do and request asylum, they have to start the process to do that. So the CBP officers are keeping them from physically entering the United States. So for weeks, families are camping out on the other side of the border and not being allowed access to the United States. Is that legal, though, for them to refuse? It is not legal for them to refuse that. It's it's not only is it against the U.S. law; it's it's against international law and our and our obligations under the Refugee Convention. But there is there are lawsuits about that going on right now, especially at the border with uh, San Diego and Tijuana. Yeah, uh, we talked about again. I want to go back to uh, things that occurred under the Obama administration and now the Trump administration. 
one big distinction that that I'm just you know very cognizant of is that when he first announced he descended the stairs in the Trump Tower, got behind a microphone and began to rail against Mexicans. And I mean, we could probably just think of the of the word track. Uh, they don't send us their best; they send us, and he just had this whole litany of things. So from day, not even day one, this is when he was candidate Trump. That was his mantra. And now uh, some theorize, well, um, as a distraction, and what greater distraction can you have from his other technical woes and legal woes? Uh, let's drum up again that drumbeat that you used for your base. And that is, let's, uh, let's first create the crisis that they're coming toward our border. So let's send, get all these states to send their National Guard down there. And then that didn't seem to work because then states began to withdraw their National Guard uh, troops. Then it was, well, we have to take action because we're being invaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, for lack of anything, another better descriptor. Then it's now warehousing humans. And people have said, this is not America. Our allies have said, that's not America. And yet, in his mind, well, this is how you, you drive a hard deal or bargain. So I, I think that distinction alone, I mean, there's no compassion there at all. There's No, I would agree with you. He does not, I, I, I don't know what it is, but he does not like the other. Anybody who's different, he has dehumanized immigrants across the board. Uh, we all know about the Muslim ban, the refugee ban, but especially his rhetoric about Central Americans and Mexicans has really just been... I think beneath us as a country. When we say <clears throat> immigrants, we should qualify that and say people of color. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right, immigrants of color. So I've heard that several states have filed lawsuits against the Trump administration over this policy. And uh, so now they're under this uh, court ordered, court-imposed deadline. What are the consequences if they ultimately do not comply with the uh, <laughs> court order? Because I heard that they requested an extension to bring uh, uh, to reunite children under five years old with their families, and it, it might be granted. But beyond that, what what are the consequences if they're not able to comply? I I, I actually do not know what recourse other than suing, and and maybe getting some financial recourse from the government for the the children. But I don't know exactly what they can they can do if they don't comply. I I just I really don't know um, other than. Shaming them? Shaming them. You can't shame Republicans. Oh, well. <laughs> or embarrass. <laughs> well, well, there was there was a uh, court case um, that has helped guide some of the decisions as of late. I think there was a girl who um, their family did sue or something. Are you familiar with that case? There was this one case that people were referencing. I'm sorry, I don't remember um, – the name of the court case. William, do you? Is this a recent case or the old Flores case? The old Flores case, mm-hmm. yes. How has that helped to sort of bring some uh, semblance of uh, uh, sanity and compassion to this? Yeah, well, the, the whole basis of the family separation is really the, the Republicans are pointing to the Flores cases causing the family separations mm-hmm. because the Flores case, which, which dates from the 1990s <coughs> and ended it involved the way the U.S. government was detaining unaccompanied minors. And so uh, under this agreement, the, the government agreed that they wouldn't detain unaccompanied minors. And there was subsequent litigation, and they said, well, we'll only hold, peop- only hold children 
who are without parents for up to 20 days. They transfer them then to the, the Department of Health and Human Services and they, their Office of Refugee Resettlement. And at that point, the children are either sheltered in some sort of orphanage. I use orphanage. They're sheltered in a shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fostered to mm-hmm. foster parents or they're placed with a relative. The big problem that's happening right now is that the Trump administration has started to fingerprint and put into deportation proceedings any relatives that are undocumented when they come to to get the children. So for a lot of the children who are now coming across the border, there are many relatives who are a a bit reluctant to come forward to get the children because they know then that they themselves will be placed into deportation proceedings. We've seen this a lot of the children who came in previous years and over the last year that were unaccompanied when their relatives have gone for the children, then the Trump administration is starting to go after those relatives. And we're seeing even years later, those relatives being placed into deportation. That's got to be a terrible decision to to have to make. You know, as you study your case law and if you as you compare with other countries and how they behaved, uh, is this synonymous with any other country that you've researched? And, and what has it led to in that country? What extremes have they taken? Well, I, I, don't, I don't have a great comparison, actually, to be honest, about what we're doing. I mean, it's pretty awful. We have international obligations towards mm-hmm. any refugees that come mm-hmm. in. And we also have obligations towards people in general, human rights, basic human rights. Certainly, what's going on in the European Union right now is... I think comparable to what's happening. We have tried to ref- to to talk about the Syrians and the Iraqis who are fleeing towards Europe as refugees, but we haven't really talked about what's this bringing the Central Americans to the United States in the same terms. And it's really the same. The mm-hmm. migrant crisis in Europe is the same thing as what's going on here. And certainly w- a lot our government in the past has criticized the treatment of many of the refugees right. who are in Greece or in Turkey, um, who are being housed in cages in, in the southern Mediterranean, and yet we're doing the exact same thing here. Well, it's interesting that there was a photo of a young girl whose mother was uh, being arrested, and she's crying, and and that's sort of um, this this sort of etched in your memory moment. And then and over there, with everyone, was a child floating uh, in the ocean. In the sea, and and that dead child who floated up to shore, I think was the beginning of of real strong talk and real pushback uh, from countries around the world to say you cannot let this go on. So I mean, it, it's again, it's the trauma of the children that is that last sort of thing that can resonate in the psyches of some of our leaders. Yeah, that's true. You know what's interesting? Uh, I was listening to Tom Hartman uh, a few days ago. And he said that it was uh, our government policies that caused a lot of the uh, unrest and and the violence in these uh, yep. uh, in some of the countries that right. where people are fleeing from. Yes. So we created the problem. Now we don't want to deal with the mess that we created. That's exactly right. The U.S. hit <coughs> the the long history of Central America is the U.S. intervention in the countries. But in recent years, we sent home gang members to these countries, Mm -hmm. we deported them there without really telling the government, without ensuring that the government could accept them. And then these gangs built up and they have subsequently overtaken the government's ability to control them. So the, the gangs are the de facto government in these countries. 
and they're, they're horrible. What they do to people is really terrible, and um, that's why many refugees are coming here to avoid certain death in these regions. And then we also worked for a long time to destabilize Nicaragua. Yes, yeah, it's there again. Well, again, as always, uh, we get into these um, very insightful conversations, um, and it's time to bring it to a close, and, and time is, is working against us. Um, we have to, again, as we said with our last guest, have you back if you're able to come back because tomorrow is, is sort of... Uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be, yeah, yeah tomorrow's supposed to be the proof in the pudding, but um, we'll, we'd like to have you back, Attorney Pop, if that's possible. I would love to come back okay, and I'm gonna, the I'm going to keep you on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> our thanks to Attorney Christine Pop of Pop and Bullman Attorneys at Law for joining us to provide an analysis of the current immigration debacle playing out on our Mexican border. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight or a topic that we've discussed, contact us at Bring It On at WFHB.org. And also our thanks to uh, Dr. Reed Renner for joining us to discuss her observations on the common maladies that are predominant in the African-American community and what lifestyle changes are essential in reversing the trends. We did mention earlier that um, there, there is an upcoming event where you can get literally thousands of dollars of free health care checks, and that's the Indiana Black Expo, Black and Minority Health Fair, which will be held July 20th at 12 noon through July 22nd at 7 p.m. And this will be in the Indiana Convention Center in Hall F. We will be announcing this in subsequent Mondays. Please uh, avail yourself of free medical checks. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, July the 16th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.